John chapter 2, particularly verse 16, where Jesus told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So far our text. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It was the first of the three times every year every Israelite male was supposed to present themselves before the Lord. Jesus is in Jerusalem keeping the law for us, just as he is everywhere keeping the law for us. The entire perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true law he keeps for us. He does it because we have made ourselves imperfect, uncertain, wrong, impure, unclean, and false. When he enters the temple that day, the temple in Jerusalem is unclean. And the temple of his body was about to be un, uh, become unclean. And Jesus cleanses them both. How was the Jerusalem temple unclean? First of all, it was not the temple of God that he had blessed. This is explained by the Jews' demand for a sign. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews around him balked at him. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it in three days? God had blessed Solomon's temple. The temple Solomon had built in seven and a half years. So where do these 46 years come from? The temple they were standing in was Herod's temple. The temple built after Jerusalem and the temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. The temple built under the watchful eyes of Ezra and Nehemiah. A temple that Herod the Great and his sons would spend 46 years repairing and expanding. A temple still not as grand as its predecessor. On top of that, they had made the father's house a house of trade. The oxen were lowing. The sheep were bleeding. The pigeons were cooing. The entire temple smelled and sounded like animals. If that weren't enough, the chief priest had arranged for money changers to be present so the sacrifices could be purchased with the temple shekel, holy money, instead of Roman pagan money. And why were they inside the temple? Convenience. God demanded unblemished sacrifices. People traveling to Jerusalem from all over the world could not be sure that their sacrifice, which left their house unblemished, would still be unblemished when they got to Jerusalem. And they also couldn't be outside the temple. Because what if the sheep tripped on its way to the altar and broke its leg? Well, now the sacrifice is null and void because it's not unblemished. That prospect inched the livestock sellers closer and closer to the altar. Through all these shortcuts and nuances they had placed on the worship of God in the temple, they were just going through the motions. They were keeping the letter of the law. They were doing the right things by having unblemished sacrifices to be offered on the altar. But they were far from the spirit that the law was written in. And Jesus was not amused. We go back to Jesus' statement to the Jews. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
When he said this, he was speaking about the temple of his body. How was the temple of his body, the body of the Holy Son of God, unclean? John the baptizer tells us, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he took away the sin of the world, it had to go somewhere. It went on him. And we ourselves have become members of the body of Christ in our baptism. Now you are the body of Christ, Paul tells us, and individually members of it. And as we sang a few moments ago, Yet he who dwells in heaven above chooses to live with us in love, making our bodies his temple. But we are all still sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God daily. Want to challenge me on it? Read back through the Old Testament reading again. Give me one of the Ten Commandments you have not broken. All right, now, some of you can probably come up with one you haven't broken this morning. (laughs) But, can you say that you haven't broken any? St. James tells us, forever he who keeps the whole law but fails in one point is guilty of breaking all of them. You can't escape it. You're a sinner. Even in the body of Christ, even as the temple of Christ, you're still a sinner. And the fact that Christ's body is made up completely of sinners brings a charge against us. We have made God's house not a house of trade, but a house of conflict. There's conflict over doctrine and denominations splitting off of each other. There's conflict between persons over race and culture. Christ's body seems more divided today than ever. And that doesn't even start to begin with all the divisions and differences over personal preferences and feelings. People want things done their way. They want their voice heard and acknowledged and accepted. Sometimes this also comes for convenience. Other times it's to avoid offense. But the biggest problems with the Christian faith is that it's inconvenient and offensive. Why? Because we are unclean. And Christ presents himself as holy and right. But we see ourselves every time we look at ourselves in the mirror and truly take inventory of us. We find ourselves imperfect, uncertain, wrong, impure, unclean, and false. And Jesus comes to cleanse the temple, both the one in Jerusalem and the one of his body. So how does he cleanse the temple in Jerusalem? Zeal consumes him. Holy and righteous indignation rises out of him and unleashes itself on those who have made the temple into a house of trade, who are making a profit at his expense. The disciples remember the passage from the Psalms, zeal for your house has consumed me. The Lord's zeal and his wrath are often seen in fiery image, fire that consumes everything, leaving nothing behind but a desolate wasteland. Later in the Psalms, David says, my zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Jesus' foes are those who have forgotten God's word who seek to do what they want, 
as long as, like for the Pharisees and the chief priest, it has some semblance of being pious and right. Jesus' all-consuming zeal brings him to gather several cords together and fashion them into a whip. What were these cords doing in the temple? They were the cords to tie the sacrificial animals so that the worshiper would be able to lead them up to the altar. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords, David says in the Psalms, up to the horns of the altar. The cords held the animal with a bit of control as they were slaughtered for the sacrifice to atone for sin. But the cords serve a deeper, more ominous purpose for Christ. He was showing his disciples and the Jews around him that he is the one true Passover lamb. He is the fast festal sacrifice that would be bound. And you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The cords of death confronted me. Jesus drove out the livestock sellers and the money changers with the only thing that will truly cleanse the temple. Death. Specifically, his death. In his indignation, Jesus flips the tables of the money changers where they had left nothing to be sacred. He left nothing of their own in one piece. The prophets say, at at his wrath the earth shakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. If the earth and the nations can't stand up to God's wrath and indignation, what chance do a couple of wooden tables have? Our God is a consuming fire, and he consumes everything that makes his temple unclean. But the Jerusalem temple is not the only temple that needs to be cleansed. How does he cleanse the body of the temple of his body? It's a very similar yet inverse cleansing of the Jerusalem temple. When Jesus cleanses the temple of his body, wrath consumes him instead of zeal. But his wrath is not poured out against others. It's poured out against himself. The rest of the verse, the disciples, remember, says, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When Jesus cleanses his body, he takes out his vengeance on sin against himself. He punished himself with death so that you might live. This is the foolishness of God that St. Paul talks about at work. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Therefore we can boldly sing, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. Foolishness, that we should rejoice and boast in someone's death. But it wasn't just anyone's death, is it? It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. We preach that Christ cleansed the temple of his body, not by whipping, but by being whipped. He suffered and died to give us the forgiveness of sins. He willingly took the punishment in his body to cleanse it, to make it truly a temple worthy of him whose true temple stands in heaven, all earthly temples excelling. 
And with his death, he flipped death itself. As St. John Chrysostom Chrysostom says in his Easter Vigil sermon, Hell took a body and discovered God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw and was overcome by what it did not see. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. On the third day, he raised the temple of his body, and the temple was clean. All the filth of man's sin left behind in the grave. Nothing but his righteousness, peace, and joy remain. Jesus became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the true meaning of the Passover. This is what it has always meant. Jesus fulfilling God's perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true law. So that he can proclaim about you, the temple is clean. Amen.